And this poem is about something he really did. He really burned his brother's hut down to help his brother wake up from his like, you know, fear and go out and live in the world. And when people ask me like, why do you do what you do? Why do you put all of your 110% in every day? It's like, I'm alive. You know, I'm a human in a body. I'm waking up every day and I got another 24 hours or another 18 hours, whatever it is, I'm awake and I'm going to do something with that time, right? I'm alive. I want the most out of my life. I'm not doing this because I want to be the richest man in the world. I'm not doing this because I want the most power in the world. I'm doing this because I'm alive and I want to make the most out of every moment because nothing is guaranteed to us, right? The most valuable thing in this world is time. You can't get time back. Um, and if you think about it, what IRL is, and in this higher level, more philosophical discussion, is IRL is all about how people spend their time. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thank you for joining me today on The Fort. I just recorded one of my favorite episodes of all time with Abraham Shafi, the founder and CEO of IRL. I met Abraham because I was able to invest in his business, but the relationship that I've gotten to know him and after listening to this episode, I'm just blown away. Uh, We talk about his first company that he started and selling that venture and dropping out of college. We talk about how he came up with the idea to start IRL and why it's his life's mission. He dropped so many golden nuggets of just like thought provoking things. This is one of the best episodes you'll listen to. I hope you guys get as much out of it as I did. Enjoy. Abe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's great to connect with you today, and I'm, I'm excited about our conversation. Uh, just to get started, can we just hear about kind of your story, kind of growing up and, and the journey that you took to get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in San Francisco. I grew up in the Bay Area my whole life. What's really interesting is my dad moved to America from Egypt when he was, in his, when he was like 21, 22 he didn't really know how to speak the language. He wasn't educated at a U.S. college. And him and his brothers came and they came for the American dream, which yeah. is sort of just like hustle and make it. And um, he met my mom while she was going to art school. And what's really interesting about this and how it's relevant to my life is my dad and his brothers were entrepreneurs. They just kind of made their life from scratch with nothing. One of his brothers actually got into tech. And he, what he did is... He started just, you know, getting into building computers and such pre-internet. He entered a competition of who could build, like what company could build the fastest server. And at the time, it was only just big companies applying for it or going to the competition. But he entered as just this random immigrant and he ended up winning and he became an overnight millionaire. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up naturally um, actually at his house building computers pre-internet and just like really fascinated by this whole world. And I saw building and tech like freedom and in so many ways and the american dream in so many ways in the sense of if you build something interesting it doesn't matter who you are uh, as long as you do something interesting people are going to be into it and so ever since then i was like oh my god i don't have to think about anything other than like 
what am I building and how is it helping the world at a, at a younger age? And then from there, I ended up going to Berkeley for school, uh, UC Berkeley. And I dropped out actually as I was building my first company, which was sort of like a part of my potential goals when I was planning to go to the school was I wanted to build something cool. And so, you know, it was actually instilled in me in a young age just to, to build. And while I was at Berkeley, I was sitting in a class, uh, an econ class, and I was thinking about how many kids at how many colleges were taking the same econ class as me and what are the things that are going to separate me up you know, from those people. And I realized building something is what separates me from other people. Um, and so that's how I really got inspired to build. And so my first company was an enterprise software company in the hiring space because I wanted to make money. So <laughs> I built an enterprise software company because I was like, I'm in college. I just need someone to pay me for what I'm building. I, I wasn't inspired to build consumer, although had I been building consumer in the early two, you know, early 2000s, um, might have been a really great time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so actually, I built that company. I ran it for four years. Uh, we had some of the largest employers in the world using us. Walmart was our biggest customer. And actually, once we got Walmart, um, we had some people interested in acquiring us. And that's how Dice ended up acquiring our company. Yep. And while I was working on that, I realized whatever you work on, you become. And at the time, I was building an enterprise software company, I was becoming an enterprise software person. I was flying to Bentonville, Arkansas. Um, I was wearing you know, a suit and a tie and I was doing these things. And I realized I loved building products and solving problems, but I wasn't sure if that was really who, what I felt like I wanted to do for the next 20, 30 years of my life. So as I had some success from that company, I was asking myself, if I could work on anything in the world, what would it be and why? What is something I could work on that could influence me as much as I influence it? What is something that I want to become? What is something that really could be something that lives beyond my lifetime? And so I had some mentors at the time, one of them, Matt Mullenweg, who's founded Automatic, which is uh, owns WordPress. And I asked him, what is your biggest goal? And he said, my biggest goal is to work on something that lives beyond me. And in tech, I don't often hear that. And I was thinking, and I started to reframe my questions that I was asking myself on what I wanted to build. And I reframed it into like, what is something that could live beyond me? What is something that is so important and becomes uh, you know, such an important part of human society that it, it, it lives on as a product? And in tech, that's, I would say, one of the hardest things to do because it's such a build, rebuild culture, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to me, that, you know, that really reframed what I was looking at. And so how I got to IRL, which stands for in real life, is I realized, and I believe every consumer company reflects a part of culture back onto itself, right? So it's, you're not, I'm not necessarily creating a new habit or creating a new action. I'm taking something people already do and making it dead simple so more people can do it. That's kind of like the magic promise of technology is making, making life easier for humans, right? Right. So with Uber, they're making life easier for humans. You press a button, you get a car, right? If Airbnb, they're making life easier for humans because now there's more creative places you can stay at. With IRL, the reality is like the core part of being human is being together, right? That might be one of the main reasons we still exist as a culture, uh, as humanity at all is... We're not the biggest, we're not the scariest, but we work together. And that's sort of how what, what has allowed us to exist still today. And so what's really interesting is there still hasn't been a consumer company that's just reflective of what you can do 
uh, and who you can do it with, right? Most social is media, which is great. But the true social of like who we're hanging out with and what we're doing, whether it's remotely or in the real world, there's nobody who's won that space yet. And right now, you know, it's pretty amazing that we've been able to grab the tiger by the tail and, and unlock some of that magic. And so that's what uh, I wanted to work on because that's something that is such a core part of humanity. It's not going anywhere. And as we're getting more and more digital, some company is going to you know, become the, the piece that really helps uh, amplify that for humanity. So you, you have that conversation with Matt Mullenweg and he kind of reframes like how you're looking at life. Um, I think it's amazing what he said that he wanted to create something that lives beyond him. How long between like that conversation and when you decided to start IRL? Like when when did you kind of formulate the plan and and kind of launch this thing? Yeah, so after we got acquired by Dice, I became the VP of product at Dice and as I was which was what uh, year? That was oh my gosh, that was like 2011. Okay. And I was just sort of like, you know, taking a deep breath and and getting acquainted to the corporate world and running uh, the company that they acquired, Get Talent, and uh, the product team at Dice, and just sort of just processing and sitting and thinking and asking myself, so if what I work on, I become, right? What do I want to become? What do I care the most about? What is something I can live and breathe, wake up every morning, go to bed every night, and have it mean something to me, right? And what I learned with enterprise software is no matter how much money you make after a while, at least for me, uh, I needed to have a meaning more than money. So I asked myself, what are the things that drive me? And really the things that were bringing me the most happiness were spending time with friends and family, um, especially because I was a workaholic, you know, constantly on the computer all the time. The thing that sort of saved me was just having a any time I spent with friends and family. And so I was like, okay, well... To me, I, you know, and I think at that time, a Harvard study came out, the longest study ever done on happiness. And it was like a 90 year long study or longer. And they came to a conclusion that your grandma could have told you, which was uh, the more time you spend with friends and family, it's an indicator for long term happiness um, throughout your life. Right. Wow. And that, like, that was it. That was like the root of it was like healthy relationships with friends and family was the greatest indicator and in, uh, long term happiness, in, including like up until death. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, I need to prioritize this in my life. And when I looked at the consumer landscape and looked at the landscape of things I could build, I realized that it just wasn't reflected out in tech. You know, that wasn't something that had won yet. There wasn't a product that was killer the same way Instagram is for photos. So that's how I decided to set off on that journey. So probably around 2012, 2013, I just started thinking about it more. The product didn't get built until 2016. That's when we formulated the the company that ended up launching what is now IRL. I love it. You've, you've said it a couple of times, but I remember a slide that you had in your deck and I hope this isn't private. I don't think it is, but you had just made the analogy. You said blogging is to microblogging is to Twitter. Work email is to contextual chat is to Slack. Photo albums is to in the moment. Lightweight photo sharing is to Instagram. And then events and experiences, the lightweight effortless invites is what IRL will become. And I thought that's, yep. that was a, a great way to frame it. 
So you started in 2016, and I that is one of the best stories I've ever heard on like how you arrived at IRL and the thoughtfulness and the meaning the the meaning behind it. So you, you know every every great entrepreneur, obviously, a lot of times you hear starts with like a whether it's a problem they've experienced or something that is meaningful to them. Sometimes makes the best companies. So you come in 2016. Did you raise venture capital? And are you are you more of a technical founder? Or are you non technical? Yeah. So uh, great questions. When I went to Berkeley, I studied a mix between computer engineering, uh, business, and sociology. I wanted to understand how to build it how humans adopted it and how to make money off of it. So uh, I built the first working prototype with uh, one of my co-founders. And um, But I'm definitely... I'm not building right now. Um, I've hired people way smarter than me. Grateful to have them on the team who can actually build stuff. But the first version, I built out super duct taped to prove things out. So in fact, one of my other mentors at the time, and still is, his name is Scott Bannister. He's been a part of a lot of the early tech. He's like the first board member of PayPal, first investor in PayPal. Um, Early in a lot of things, he co-founded a company called Ironport that sold for 800 million plus to Cisco. He's just this really awesome, epic guy who's been around a long time. I I shared with him this idea to see what he thought of it. And he told me he's been thinking about something very similar for a really long time. And he actually wanted to work on it with me. So he ended up being uh, my first co-founder. And it was me, him, and uh, a guy who was named Crudel, who was with me since college. Build. We were just like hacking away, building stuff together in college. We both started our own companies and dropped out. And then we decided to work together with Scott to build this company. So the first version, we literally just self-funded, self-built. And we were just experimenting, trying to figure out what about what about this space could we learn? What unique insight could we garner that would allow us to justify taking the product from the self-funded exploratory phase to raising real money? So I would say twenty six. The year twenty sixteen was pretty much just full on experimentation, self funding, launching different apps, and just seeing what happens. And and before we get into like what IRL looks like today and what it does, what did Scott bring to the table that looking back maybe you skipped years of pain and failures that that he was able to help you kind of like circumvent from his experience? Sounds like a guy that came in almost like a unicorn that you get to work with early on. Like what impact did he have on the business that that would stand out? Yeah. Well, the impact that he had early on is still the one today, which is he's, you know, he's seen more than a handful of companies personally go from zero to a billion dollars plus, you know, and the clarity and focus on what matters and what doesn't matter was probably one of the biggest things that he still continues to help on is like how to not get distracted, how to stay focused on the core principles of what it takes to build a meaningful business. Things like um, for social, if you're not growing organically, you're not a real social company, right? Right. Um, As an example. But like the obsessiveness about that, meaning like not even considering the concept of of like paid uh, marketing of any kind. Like if it, if it literally can't grow on its own, period, it doesn't have legs, right? And so like using these very extreme meaningful guidelines to help us at the very beginning gain our uh, muscles on what it means to to create a massive business, right? And then other things like I remember asking him like, how much should I care about PR? And he's like, if you get organic PR, great, but otherwise don't worry about it. You know, and there are like certain things where it's like deciding what to care about really matters. Because what I think about that, I wonder, I wonder 
I, I never wanted to be this, which is the the one hit wonders, right? So like you see these uh, companies, I see them, see these apps, they get huge and then they die, right? They get all this hype, they get like a, a massive amount of engagement for a moment, but then they go away. Sometimes I, you know, like I think about the the same that happens with songs, right? The one hit wonders, someone makes a song, one song and they get a hit and they don't really know what they did or how they did it. Um, and you can't repeat it. And so for me, I, since I didn't want to build something that was a fad and I didn't want to build something that was just an over, like a fly by night success that came and went, I cared more. And this is still how we operate the business is we're not trying to completely explode the company in such a way where our uh, fundamentals aren't modeled within it. Right. So like it wasn't about growing as fast as humanly possible. Not that we're not, you know, growing at a breakneck pace, but it was about, focusing uh, and patience on what it takes to, to get true organic growth. That is still invaluable, but was very much at the very beginning. That, that might be part of the secret sauce. So you might not want to answer it, but are there like two or three things that come to mind when you're like gr- doing great at organic growth that, that you would be willing to share? In terms of like how we think about it? Yeah. Just like why are some people like, obviously you have to have a great product, but but obviously not everybody thinks about it that way. And so what are the best practices for uh, for growing organically is maybe the question that I'm trying to ask. I don't know if that's, if I'm saying yeah, it I right. Mean, I mean, I think what's funny is, so when I was younger, I used to hear these, these uh, simple sayings that I thought were like platitudes that didn't have depths, like uh, all you need is love or whatever, right? But as I get older, I start to, realize the deeper layers and meaning of these things. What's really interesting about building a meaningful company that grows is like, it's truly just super simple. It's, are you providing a valuable service that people want to share with their friends? And what is the reason for their sharing, sharing it, right? What's funny is it's actually super simple, but also deeply difficult to unlock in the sense of like, you have to get really honest of, like the way that we think about it is we're providing a tool you know, there's a saying is like, come for the tool, stay for the network. How can we provide something valuable where people are excited to share with their friends because their friends are getting, the, you know, they're, they're excited to say like, check out this new thing that I found, right? Or like there's something, there's something exciting about it. And so what's funny is it's like what we operate on every day is consumer is a service, right? What we're doing is we're providing a service to humanity. We're providing a service to the world. And while that might seem like simple and highbrow at some levels, you know, consumer services is technically how we think about, you know, even the industry, right? Like we're providing a service to humanity. So we're constantly thinking of like, how can we be helpful to people? And the more helpful we are to people, the more that we actually build value over time and the more that the, that the product gets shared. It's surprisingly difficult to unlock. But what's really funny is, is I think a lot of like companies don't have that in their blood in the sense of like, you're providing a service to humanity. This isn't about us, right? This is about the people. And it's like, how do we help give value to people? Those people don't care about our egos. Those, those people don't care who we are, which is also what I like. It's not about me. It's not about the company necessarily. It's just about what value are we providing to people? Yep. I love it. All right. What is IRL? And, uh, now that you're a full, you know, full on business when you've raised money and have millions of customers, how would you describe uh, what IRL is today if I was uh, about to download the app and try and use it? 
Yeah, so I'll start with an analogy, the simplest way to think about it. So we call ourselves the Instagram for events. And what I mean by that is when Instagram first launched, I remember thinking, why would I ever post a photo on Instagram? All my friends are on Facebook. Right? I was like, why, why would I ever go to Instagram? But then what I realized is Instagram created a vertical social network around photos. So I could have a smaller subset of friends or even make new friends all around people who are interested in seeing my photos and I, you know, the interest that I have in following other people's photos. That's it. The content type is photos. Even now, the root of Instagram is still... It's a, it's a photo social network. You're sharing photos. Um, now, of course, there's more multimedia around it, but the root is photos. right? Even my DMs on Instagram, it's people sending me memes, people sending me photos, people sending me videos. It's just rooted in that one content type. right? So... Instagram did that for photos. We're doing that exact same thing for events. So IRL is all about finding out what to do, organizing what you're going to be doing. And really, it's like I can follow you or you can follow me all around the events that I have upcoming or things that we could potentially do together. So what we call it is an event social network, right? Yeah, It's all messaging, discovery, and organization all around events. Um, and what's amazing is in the way that Instagram was the first really to pull off the just a social network around photos, we are doing that as just a social network around events. There is no company right now other than us really doing this, which is exciting. Uh, you know, there are people who started copying us after we've blown up, but nobody's really gotten any traction. We're by far and away the number one player in this space. And we intend to continue to deepen that uh, lead that we have over the next few years. And how do you all get events on the platform? Is that the users posting like, hey, I'm going to this concert, you should, and that event becomes something that people can look into? Or are y'all posting the event and then people gravitate towards the events that you're posting? What's really amazing about events is anyone who has an event that they want more people to go to, they're happy to post it anywhere, right? Especially if you're marketing an event. So if you think about it even this way, Ticketmaster doesn't show you Eventbrite data. Eventbrite doesn't show you Ticketmaster data. Any of the ticketing platforms don't show the other ticketing platforms content. So there's a few different ways that events get into our platform. Users generate them, and it can just be stuff that I could post just to my followers, right? Like I could post, I'm going to go mountain biking tomorrow, and I could post it just to my, the people who are in my network, right? Or if I'm marketing something where I want the neighborhood to go or where I want people anywhere in the world to see, I can make things public, right? So um, you can follow your favorite sports teams. You can follow your favorite TV shows. You can follow your favorite musicians. We've pulled all public events from anywhere on the internet um, into our platform where you can follow it. And then, of course, you can follow your friends. And we actually recently launched this product called Groups, where you can join groups, affinity groups that you care about. So like I could join my local mountain biking group and make new friends and and find out when they want to go mountain biking or post that I'm going mountain biking to them and see who else wants to join, um, which I think is going to, is really we're already seeing unlocking a lot of magic around uh, connecting with people who have similar interests. Because I believe friendships at the root are based on similar interests, right? Like if you like golf and I like golf, odds of us going golfing together, even though we just met, go up exponentially, right? right. Versus like not having anything to do together. Uh, so a lot of the magic, this is the other thing I, I see around consumer is the best consumer companies reflect a part of your identity out into the world. Right. And so Instagram, it really like reflects your lifestyle identity. LinkedIn reflects your um, professional identity. IRL reflects what you like to do in the world identity. Right. The goal is we're going to keep providing tools and products and features so that 
even people who you are friends with, you can discover new things you can do with them based on shared interests, right? Like, um, I probably have friends who I don't know who like to mountain bike. I recently got into it. I'm realizing all these communities, which are cool because I don't have to necessarily be best friends with these people yet because we both share this interest of mountain biking, which is perfect for even these times with COVID and stuff where you're socially distancing, but it's fun to do it together versus uh, by myself, right? We're by nature, social creatures, right? Whether it's like literally anything we like to do, we'd like to do with other people, right? Yeah. Even if I'm watching a TV show, uh, which is something that happens a lot on our product, people will chat about it together, right? Like the the shared interest for Game of Thrones or whatever popular TV show is happening now, right? Same with gaming, right? If you're going to game by yourself, you might as well game with friends or game with people who can become new friends, right? And so what's amazing is we're focused on this action which is events as the root of our product, it's deeply inherently social, right? No matter what it is, whether it's watching sports or a TV show or even listening to a podcast, um, you know, people, people want to talk about it. People want to share it. People want to experience it together. And so if you took like, uh, like how is that different from like Twitch where people are playing video games together and meeting each other on Twitch? Is it because Twitch is like main focus isn't around the social aspect. It's to be able to watch people game. Like how would you differentiate yourself just on the video game concept of how it's different for your community than it would be on like Twitch's platform? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, we're integrated with Twitch. Okay. So uh, a good example with Twitch is actually, Twitch is really great for the streaming part, but the social part is like pretty, pretty limited, right? Um, so we're really like the social layer on top of things like uh, Twitch and YouTube and any of these other platforms, especially because it's like intimate social, right? It's like you and your friends or or people who might be like you, right? Where Twitch is more like anonymous and hard to know who's who and people are making friends, but it's it doesn't have that. That's not their core focus. So they're obviously naturally not 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 as good at it. Is there something or uh, something that stands out since you created IRL? that's kind of blown you away about how people have used the product differently than you had ever imagined? Like, you know, people really showing their true deep desires of, of how to interact with people that was like, man, we just never thought people would use it this way. That's a great question. Um, you know, for me, given that we reflect humanity back onto itself, the biggest thing that I'm learning is just how deeply social uh, humanity is. Meaning, even some of the most simple things people want to do together, right? Like TV shows was one. I know that I I actually wanted to add TV shows to the platform because I wanted to keep track of them for my own purpose. The TV guides are super annoying uh, for me and hard to follow. So I was like, oh, social TV guide, cool. But one of the things that we've been seeing is a lot of people are chatting and sharing shows together and actually having like a lot of active conversations around TV shows. And for me... Uh, I wasn't sure how social it was going to be. I had a feeling it would be valuable, at least in like the reminders personally, so people could follow their favorite TV shows the way that I wanted to. Uh, but seeing how social people get around TV shows was definitely surprising to me because that's definitely something that only happens. I mean, for the most part, it happens remotely, right? It's not necessarily a real world thing. I guess people can go to each other's houses and watch TV shows, but it's not something I imagine happened all the time. But the activity in the fan the fan action around it was definitely uh, something that surprised me. So we're, we're living in this, uh, this thing called COVID. It's, it's been a, a tragedy. It's been a pandemic and y'all have built a, a business based on real life experiences, which have been kind of limited in nature, obviously given this year is 
How has COVID impacted your business kind of positively and maybe uh, the things that maybe could have been like a negative? Um, because you're growing rapidly, you're growing at, like you said, a breakneck pace, but like what has COVID taught you about people and, and about your business that you're building? Yeah, so COVID, we're an app called In Real Life, right? And um, COVID hit and people can't be in the real world anymore. So the question was, well, what do we do? Thankfully, given that we were, we've been working on something that's a core part of human nature, the reality is, is people need to be social whether or not they're in person. And so it gave us an opportunity to flex our muscles and prove that our product could be of help in a time of deep need. So what's really interesting is products are as valuable as the need that happens within the world, right? And so what I saw was everyone's schedules, everyone's plans, including my own, thrown out the window, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone now has to come up with a new way of living for at least a temporary period of time. Mm -hmm. What that actually creates is exponentially higher demand for figuring out how to live your life. Who, what am I going to do with people? Who am I going to do it with? What the hell is even possible now, right? And so it actually created an incredible opportunity for us to provide a service that was in deep need or is still, which is like, what the hell can I do? Like, what what is possible now that life is remote, right? So we were, we were thankful that the in remote life uh, worked with the acronym as well as in real life. And so over the last year and continuing until the vaccine comes, it's really like, you know, everything is about what you can do remotely with with your friends or family or other people around the world that you might share uh, an interest with, whatever it is, live streaming, watching shows, playing video games, even just general FaceTime, playing Among Us, whatever it is, right? right. And what we realized is this opportunity actually allowed for a greater set of people to be interested in our product who may not have been interested in, in that same month previously, right? So for us, it was like um, our anti-fragile moment of proving a core part of humanity is being really social, like, you know, connecting with each other. And we have a product that can help meet that need. And so we just focused on like the discovering events on our platform went from being about 30% of the reason why people came to our products to about 60, 60 to 70% of the reason uh, people use our product. I mean, they came to discover something first and then made those plans with friends. I love it. Is there anything that like any data that's that that y'all are looking at that's showing that, you know, assuming a vaccine is is a successful and and it's implemented, like the amount of desire and pent up demand that people have for concerts and being out in real life and being around people. Um, like if I look at, you know, a cruise line, a public cruise line, I think I saw something that, you know, as soon as they start shipping out cruises in like, you know, summer of next year, every cruise they have is already booked top to bottom. It's just like a data point. Live Nation has concerts booked out as soon as they start using again. Are there things that you're seeing that are like, people are going to explode socially uh, as soon as it's, you know, socially kind of, they're able to again? Yeah. So we track categories of of, uh, events that are being organized and 
the travel category for middle to end of next year is definitely exploding because, you know, the root of how you make plans on IRL is once the event happens, it gets added to your calendar. And since it can either add to your IRL calendar or your GCAL or Outlook or wherever, we're seeing all these things getting added to people's IRL calendars all around travel. I mean, travel is going to be huge. People are hopeful, very, very hopeful. Um, and we're, I mean, we're seeing an insane amount of um, planning for that and hope for that on the product. With respect to that, I, I, I think it's going to explode. Um, I think people are, I, I think it's going to actually be pretty insane um, when people can actually be together again. And personally, I look forward to that. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything I'm, I'm reading or seeing makes me feel like we're all, uh, we're all like kids ready to run out to recess or something. Um, yeah. So you launched a uh, a campus network I was reading about, um, and you're on 100 campuses now. And I think you have, uh, I forgot what you call them, but ambassadors at each campus. Yeah. What is all that and how does it work and why did y'all do it? Yeah, so in reflecting on the same question, which is how can we provide the most meaningful service to the world, to humanity, Looking at places hit the hardest, campuses are one of the places that are hit the hardest. We're actually about to publish a, a study we did with, you know, across these campuses, um, asking students how they experienced um, college this year and what they're looking forward to or not. And it pretty much sucks to be a student right now. You know, the, the primary benefit of campus is being social. That's pretty much like when I even think of my schooling, you know, and I think of my friends, it was really like making friends, being social was 80% of what it meant to, to go to school, to go to college. Um, and now it's, you know, it's pretty much not possible in the majority of the United States right now. Right. And so kids are paying whatever $50,000 a year to have Zoom classes and be stuck at home. You know, it's like a sucks. So we were like, well, what's really interesting is I was a student when the Facebook campus first launched in its early days. And I remember how cool it was to connect with friends on campus through the product. And Facebook has gotten far and away from that product now. But we realized we had an opportunity to build that campus network around events. And like it seemed like the, we were going to we were definitely going to build a launch it either way. We might not have uh, expedited it as fast as we did. Uh, you know, we might have launched it next year had it not been for COVID. But given COVID, we realized kids more than ever are trying to figure out how to connect, how to make friends, and what's possible on campus because they're not actually on it anymore. So why don't we build a virtual campus where people can validate their .edu and get some of like the early magic of Facebook where you can find out what's happening on campus and make new friends and join groups and see what's going on. So that's why we launched it. And that's kind of like the the essence of our product, which is verifying your EDU, seeing it's sort of like a the flyer board on campus, but virtual because it will be on our explore page. And then seeing the groups on campus that you can join or creating your own group and um, letting a whole bunch of kids on campus know that they could join your chess club group or your gaming group or your, you know, whatever it is that you want to do group, right? Yeah. Um, and we're finding some solid pickup. Kids are getting really excited about it. And we actually launched a campus competition for each of these campuses with up to uh, 11K. We're going to give in uh, an event budget for students to come up with the coolest event that they could do for their campus, fitting all the guidelines and restrictions and things that could impact the, the n- biggest number of students on campus. 
And, you know, we're going to fund the coolest ones. And the goal is for them to actually, you know, find a way to, to bring the campus together and bring students together in, in a time of need. And what's cool is it fits the ethos of our product, you know, it fits the ethos of what we're doing. And they're obviously using our product to make it all real. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to work on something meaningful in a time of need. One of the biggest things our entire team has rallied around that we've been grateful for is we've been grateful to have something to work on in a time when a lot of people don't. Yeah, you know, um, we've been grateful to be able to provide real value and like, you know, take our frustrations with the world and our frustrations that we're stuck at home off onto a product that we can track is helping you know, millions of people a day, you know, tens of millions um, a month, you know, really getting to that feeling that we can do some good in a time when not many have that opportunity, but there's that latent frustration that we're actually just like, you know, pouring into the product to, to help people. I think that's so cool. Is there, is there something that comes to mind just something like inspiring or a way that somebody's used it during COVID that's just like, that is so freaking cool that our our platform was able to facilitate that happening. I think for me, it was, since uh, our product is like peer-to-peer, it wasn't as much any massive big thing, but it was seeing the small things that happen, you know, weekly and daily on the product, like people organizing uh, family Zoom calls and and people or like creating recurring events with their best friends to chat daily or weekly on the product and things that we're seeing is actually driving more closeness um, and helping drive the closeness in a time when things suck. Yep. To me, seeing seeing that um, daily, seeing that weekly, seeing that becoming a recurring theme that we're helping create those healthy habits of staying connected, to me, that's, that's what keeps me and the team going. I love it. You raised a $16 million Series B in September of this year. What was it like kind of raising capital uh, throughout, you know, 2020? Was it easier than you thought? Harder? What What was different about it given the, the challenges of this year? Yeah, so I would say the interesting thing about this year, there were some clear winners and some clear not winners. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we gratefully were, have been in the winner category of, of 2020. And so you know, when it comes to raising an investment, I actually think it, it separated the wheat from the chaff, meaning there were a lot of like kind of uh, companies that were sort of exciting, but not really. And a lot of a lot of that noise got cut out. And so there actually became a smaller pool of interesting companies um, that were fundable, that, that were clearly like anti-fragile, that were clearly able to be of value, improve value in the good times and the bad. And I actually found that it was easier because of that. Yep. What what separates a great VC from maybe a good VC from a bad VC? Like, how do you think you've raised, you've run two businesses now and sold them? Like, what makes a great venture capitalist? One that stays out of your way or one that's that knows how to, to work with y'all? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, so that one, I believe it actually, this comes down to whether it's a VC or a mentor or a friend or an advisor, what I have found is the ones who have seen multiple billion dollar successes from the very early stages to you know post IPO or whatever, those ones understand it's not about specific tactics that work. And oftentimes the tactics that worked 
five or 10 years ago won't work today. But what they realize is pattern recognition, problem solving, and understanding the right questions to ask. What I have found is the most badass people that I've loved working with and I look forward to continuing to work with, and whether it comes to VCs or, or teammates or advisors, is the people who have seen you know, multiple successes like that because they understand there are so many roads to success and it's not about it's not about necessarily using a specific tactic, but it's about how are you thinking about solving problems and where your focus goes. And those two things, plus uh, usually what those things also come with is it comes with pattern recognition. It comes with no ego and in a sense of like, I think you get, you can get, what I've noticed is people get humbled when they've been a part of multiple major successes and understanding that there are so many different paths to that success. And so the ego goes away but also the depth and meaningful relationships also go up for them as well. So they come with a great way to think about problem solving, um, a great way to approach, you know, how to grow and build a company from a, I would say like a thematic perspective, knowing how to ask the right questions, knowing how to think through things, knowing where focus should be or not be, uh, helping even think through where focus should be as an example. And then of course, because of their successes, they also come with really great relationships where they can help open up conversations that may have not um, may have been harder to do otherwise. Yep. And and I'm going to try and uh, figure out how to ask this, but as, as you grow and as as the rounds, uh, you know, you go from seed to Series A to Series B to Series C. You know, assuming that the same company or same VC isn't leading each round. Is there like a pass of the baton where, you know, you might have been led the Series A round and you were hyper involved, but then, you know, the next VC leads the Series B round. Are they now both involved in working with you in a meaningful way? Or does that Series A lead kind of pass the baton to the Series B lead? Like, how does that all work? I would say, um, so naturally, everybody's company is different. But for me, um, I've been very... So nobody took a board seat on a Series A lead, um, and so we kept, we've been keeping our board pretty tight. And this the Goodwater led our Series A and Series B, and so they joined at our Series B, and we built a really incredible relationship in that time. And what I found is the people who I want on my board are the people who who are just in it with you. So I haven't felt the passing of the baton as much as like the team is growing stronger. Yep, and uh, I see it as like. What's really interesting, uh, and I've been grateful for this with our company so far, and I and I, I hope to continue this, is everyone has a different superpower. So finding people who have these unique superpowers that are complementary and also can work well together, um, I'm finding is really helpful for success. Right? Not not every investor has the same superpower, and it's actually very helpful to find these different superpowers and putting them on the same team where you're tracking towards the same goal. Right? Yep. Because the the, the board can be just as impactful as it can be distractful depending on how you build it. And I've just been grateful, especially when you build build it with the themes of the types of VCs I told you I, I look I look for and work in working with. Um, you just end up with some like really awesome, uh, badass momentum. And if there's like a first time founder that's listening, like how do you think about the way they should be selecting who they might raise capital from? Obviously there, you know, people, everybody can write a check and an evaluation is better than this valuation, but how should people be thinking about like who to, who to match up with, or what are some questions that might help them like get to the right VC quicker? So 
a thing that founders and I didn't do this my first time around um, always reference check, you know, and you can do reference checking by asking the VCs that they'll always share, but also see if you can do your own, see if you can find some, some people they funded and just ask the founders how, how it went. One of the things that I look for is a question I look to answer is how do they react when things aren't going well? And I try to ask other founders how how they've how they've dealt with that, because in the reality is, we've you know like every single startup and you know people say this all the time, nobody is immune from it. Go through the ups and downs, right? And you want someone like Mike Maples one time told me when we were going through some hard stuff. He said, "Welcome to the NFL." <laughs> <laughs> and. Having someone who reminds you the game that you're playing and how difficult it is and helps keep you going and who doesn't get shaken by the hard stuff, those are the people that you want around because no matter what, you're going to have hard stuff and you want people who are going to who are gonna like pick you up, dust you off, and keep you going, right? Yep. I love it. Uh, yeah. All right. I have one kind of bigger question to ask and then we'll we'll get to some kind of fun personal ones. But, you know, the, just the state of social media in general, uh, you see like Facebook is, uh, their reputation is decaying. Uh, maybe, you know, just from, uh, do people trust that their ambitions, you see these, this Netflix, the, the social dilemma that comes out, you, you read about Google and YouTube and, and all these things is like, one, what's your opinion, all that. And two, like, how do we build the social, the world back to where it's, it is that, you know, originally Facebook was great for finding an old step you know, aunt or cousin that you hadn't seen in forever or an old college roommate, but we've, we've certainly drifted from that. Like one, what's your opinion on it? And two, how do we write the ship to get back to make social media this really positive thing? Yeah, great questions. And super, super big question on everyone's mind. I, I, I oscillate when I think about this between a few things, which is technology reflects humanity back onto itself in so many ways. Um, and so the question that I ask myself in the same way that I can ask myself about kids is, is it nature? Is it nurture? How much of it is created and amplified by Facebook? How much of it is we are, you know, engaging with it? And that's the reality of like Facebook's built a product that reflects engagement. Engagement happens to follow these things. Like it, you know, it makes me think of like when I think about how, you know, Twitter and Facebook, they gear everything around, highest engagement and highest engagement tends to be these outrage things, right? And it makes me think of a, an analog is we still as humans can't drive by a car accident and not slow down. We can't. We can't. We can't. And it's so frustrating. We've all been in traffic because everyone needs to see what happened at the car accident. Yep. And to me, a big question I ask myself, and it doesn't mean Facebook's not at fault or it doesn't mean they, they can't try to influence it more or, or whatever... Um, but to me, I think about that analog and I think about the Facebook feed to me is just because it's optimized for the car accident, essentially, my entire feed is different versions of the car accident. And like, that's why I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And that's also how it can be manipulated, right? Like journalism fits in that same boat and they all are all kind of feeding each other, all the clickbait journalism that creates outrage, right? And it's crazy. It's all feeding upon itself. And um, the reason why I'm building what I'm building is what's really interesting is we don't talk about optimizing for time spent on app, which is 
So if your business model is based off of time spent on app, everything you're going to be doing is optimizing for how people can spend more time on your app, right? So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they're all optimized for time spent, which means that no matter what you do, because of their profit model, they need to keep you on, which means they're they're going to do anything they can do, right? They're going to show you as many car accidents as they can because that's what's going to keep you on because as humans, that's for whatever reason, you know, we're more attracted to that than anything else. So what I believe is like uh, Buckminster Fuller says, if you if you don't like uh, how a system is going, make a new system. So the only way things are going to change isn't from the current products, but it's going to be from new products being built that have a, uh, a revenue model that I would call a win-win revenue model. Me and, me and Mike Maples talk about this a lot, meaning right now the... Facebook, the time spent model is a win-lose model. The more time you spend, they win. The more time you spend, you lose, right? So it's not um, a healthy one that's helping humanity or even helping people. But when a business model can be win-win, meaning when when Facebook makes money, you know, I also win. That's that's the magic. And if Facebook's able to come up with that business model, great. But my guess is they're too entrenched to to really be able to pull out the foundation. But new products like IRL will be coming out, and I believe other vertical uh, social networks that are just focused on specific actions that can beat these win-win business models. Right. Uh, so for IRL, we win when we help you get to a successful event with your friends. Right. Because while that event, for the most part, is probably free, oftentimes it will be ticketed, or oftentimes it will have a dinner reservation tied to it, or it will be at a movie theater, or or it will drive a tune into a TV show. And we help you get to that place. We're winning because you know those are all monetizable events. And you're winning because you wanted to do that with your friends, and so I believe uh, it'll just it'll have to come it'll have to come from new products that are building these vertical networks, right? Like I would say, um, Facebook as a product, the Facebook product, you know, it's going to be hard for them to figure that out, or even if they have the incentive or even care about it. But like on WhatsApp, you know, maybe they can figure that out on WhatsApp because it's purely messaging or. Um, Instagram's interesting. I'm not sure what they'll do there. But I think that consumers have to take ownership for it. And of course, that's so hard to say, right? Um, but the reality is, it's also like switching through TV. There's so much crap on television. Like the new generation doesn't even watch, only watches on demand TV. Right. Uh, but there's so much crap on television if you're flipping through channels. Like it's your job not to engage in the, in this, in like the shitty channel versus the the one, the Discovery Channel, or whatever it is, right? Like it's at the end of the day, I I think that it's it almost feels like scapegoating. It's like yeah, uh, you know, Facebook's doing things that are that are not that are not great, and I'm not giving them a pass on it. But at what point are corporations responsible for humanity? And at what points are humans responsible for themselves? And I. I don't like victim mentality. And, you know, I don't like it when people are like, well, Facebook's doing this to us. I'm like, just get off Facebook then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know yeah. what to tell you. You can't expect that. A corporation isn't, has never been promised to have morals. And so I don't know. So it's, it's, a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to feel because it's not like I agree with what they're doing necessarily. But I also, I've never been told in my life that corporations are going to do what's right for people. I've been told that corporations are going to profit maximize. For sure. Um, and so I think this also maybe like a come to Jesus moment for people to realize you vote with your dollar, you vote with your eyeballs, you vote with your click. If you don't like it, then then make an action, you know? 
Milton Friedman is up in heaven looking down on you with a big smile. <laughs> and uh, the the comment that you that you that was probably the best layout I've ever heard of that answer. Um, and to your point on you know people just getting off or you know don't get on is is hopefully they have an alternative to be able to turn to and 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 it's just very rare that you talk to people anymore about Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or Google where it's this positive like this is amazing like this is changing life it's this very dark conversation and i have to imagine there's a lot of smart people working on creating the next products to kind of right the ship so that was an awesome answer thanks all right, you you kind of answered so just a couple personal and then we'll bring her home, but you kind of answered this one earlier, but maybe there is a different experience when you're talking about your uncle um winning that competition, but do you have a childhood experience that you remember vividly that has shaped who you are today, whether you are 4 years old or 7 years old or something unique that happened to you early in your life that you think set you on the path to where you are today? Interesting question. Um well, I'll just say the first thing that comes to mind. Um, ever since I was a kid, I my dad kind of just trusted me to go out and do things. My, my mom actually said she found me selling my art pieces in front of our elevator in, a, in apartment buildings when I was like six. I had like painted some art and was selling it for like a dollar a piece in front of an elevator. And she's like, I have no idea why you did that. And I was like, I don't know either. Uh, but you know, maybe it was just like seeing the way my 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 dad or my uncles worked, or I don't know what it was. But there was something inside me that enjoyed interacting with people, enjoyed uh, business at some level. Or you know, it's, I mean, it's weird. Like, what kind of six year old independently goes and tries to sell his artwork? You know, like I, I made the choice to go in from the elevator that was highly trafficked. Um, you know, like there's some, there was some thought that put, that got put into it. I don't know where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I still wonder like nature, nurture, everybody's unique in their own way and, and what makes them special and, and what drives them. And for me, I, I loved like my dad, uh, had a, a few cafes in the city and he would set me up to, you know, sell things at the cafe or whatever. Um, and, yeah, at a young age, I was just used to dealing with people, people, and pro- providing. Like I don't know, just doing doing business. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing to say, but I just I've always felt that way. Like I I broke my skateboard when I was fifteen, and my parents didn't want to buy me a new one. And I went and got a job at McDonald's um, because they're the only place that would hire a fifteen year old, just so I could get the first paycheck to buy a skateboard. <laughs> um, so I was never afraid to just go and do whatever I needed to do. Uh, to get it done. And sometimes when people ask me, like, what do you do? My answer is whatever it takes. I do whatever it takes. And I think that what has allowed me to get to where I am and will allow me to get to where I'm going is letting go of ego, right? Like even the McDonald's example, I didn't care. I worked at McDonald's. I just wanted, they were, I just wanted, I just wanted the money to get my skateboard, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, my parents were actually shocked when they were like, what are you doing? I was like, well, you wouldn't buy me a skateboard. So here's here's my only option. But a lot of what I hear about entrepreneurs and a lot of what I see when I get inspired by like the Elon Musks of the world or the Steve Jobs of the world is they do whatever it takes. You know, they they go extreme. They're 
they're wild. They're, they're you know, like they shock people in their extreme nature, yeah. right? Like Elon Musk called out like the California governor and and mayors around like the Tesla manufacturing, you know, over the course of this year, like he's, you know, he, he, he throws down and it's just sort of like this energy of, I'm not going to take no for an answer or if it doesn't work this way, you know, like, uh, there are these famous quotes, like, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin saying like, or, or one of, one of these guys said something like, it's not that I failed a hundred times that I found a hundred ways. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like the energy of, literally just saying like all i need is one way for this to work and i'm gonna obsess over it until i figure it out and that's it and it's something that i felt from a young age and along with that also what i felt was i believe school makes really good employees but i never felt really um like i was a good student because i had a hard time following directions i didn't want to just regurgitate what the teachers told me and that that made me like a problem student, which actually made me not really trust. I was like, I don't like, I, I, I'm not going to live by other people's rules. So that kind of inspired me to continue building, right? Like, but I've tried to tell this to my friends, even in college, like, you know, like really be aware that they're making you a good employee, you know, like they're, they're giving you directions, you're following them and you're getting a grade based on how you follow directions, not how you come up with your own stuff. And so there's obviously things to be learned from school, things to be learned from college, but with the context of understanding the the greater part of, of humanity and learning and, and what it means to be a human. I love it, man. That's the first time I've asked that question on a podcast, but I've noticed so many times people relate to their life and whether it's like a, a father that passed away or my father lost his job and we were poor, like there's these, there's these moments in kids' lives that change the trajectory of their life. And so you're the first person I asked it to, but I'm gonna start asking it more. Uh, I think it's a really interesting question. I'm honored. The art of question asking is everything. I love it. Do you have a morning routine? I have a morning routine that I try to stick to as much as humanly possible. Um, it includes stretching and meditation. Okay. How long do you stretch and how long do you meditate? So they actually kind of go together. I start with about a 15-minute meditation. I go into a 45-minute or so long stretch, and then I end with meditation. But the whole thing for me is, is a meditation from start to finish. So the whole thing is about an hour and a half. And then at the end of the day, I got to get my workout in as much as possible. Um, with COVID, mountain biking is is my obsession just because I can be out in nature and being active. Before COVID, my favorite thing to do is to play uh, pickup basketball. I love it. Are you out in LA or are you in San Francisco? Uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, I don't want to ask another loaded question, but... Is San Francisco gonna is are its brightest days ahead of it, or are you fed up with it? Or we don't have to go deep in this, but San Francisco's <laughs> gotten a lot of attention lately. Miami's getting attention. L.A., San yeah. Francisco, is the ecosystem there as strong as ever? Great question, and yeah, it's a funny debate. I mean, I was born here, right? So I've seen I've seen a lot of ups and downs. I think San Francisco has always been filled with weird people who are going to make stuff. Yeah. Once tech got really popular, a lot of people from New York, uh, Massachusetts, East Coast, money, East Coast, like consulting wasn't cool anymore. Tech was cool. iBanking wasn't cool anymore. Tech was cool. So there was a whole new breed of people who came to San Francisco. I remember when it was happening that wasn't there previously that really made the first, in my opinion, like the what made tech tech, you know? Yeah. Um, there's like the weird people 
building things because I love building. Um, and of course, everyone likes making money, but there is like this this raw nature to it. I think the weirdos will always be in San Francisco. I think that we built our company remote first pre-COVID, inspired again by Matt Mullenweg, um, who built his, you know, he has, I think, 1,500 employees all remote uh, and growing pre-COVID. And, uh, you know, so we've we've been remote first from the start. Yeah. I think San Francisco will always have magic. I remember the 2000, 2001.com bust and how everyone fled San Francisco like crazy. And, you know, the people who made the real estate investments when that happened have <laughs> come up <laughs> hardcore since then. Yeah. Um, and so what I've been asking myself is, what are, can I learn from that time? And are there some investments I can make in real estate? And at what point of the, at what point will there actually be like a bottoming out and a good time to make investments? I think, I think San Francisco is 100% going through a death and rebirth cycle for sure. I don't think it's going to go, San Francisco isn't going to go anywhere in the long term, but I think there's like a death and rebirth cycle that it's going through for sure. And I'm, you know, the question, is is who's going to be a part of it and what does it look like and um, all that stuff. But, you know, it's oriented around also the campuses who are not going anywhere, like UC Berkeley and Stanford, you know, like so much uh, entrepreneurship comes from those campuses and those colleges are not relocating anytime soon. Yep. All right. What's the best advice you've ever received? You've dropped some golden nuggets on this podcast, so you might have already said it, but what's the best advice you've already, you've been given? Let's see. The best advice or the thing that I think about the most is the the first thing that comes to mind that I I care about is um, I think a lot about adaptation. So what what that means is it's not, you know, I think Darwin got this right. It's not the strongest who survive. It's it's the organisms, the the living beings that are capable of adapting. When I think about what it means to to live in this world. What I think the most about is how do I build myself in such a way um, that I'm capable of adapting to any of the circumstances that come my way, right? Like, I'll give you an example. As you get older, your brain starts to deteriorate and your body isn't the same way as it was. I need to be good at adapting to what that looks like so that I, as opposed to being a victim or whatever it is or frustrated, um, I'm capable of, you know, doing the best that I can with what I have at that time. And so adaptation, obviously during COVID is a big thing, um, because learning how to adapt to our current circumstances are super important. Everything at the end of the day, I, I believe our ability to evolve as humanity or really actually any living being has evolved through adaptation. So the thing I think most about are what are the things in my life that are stopping me from adapting? Because I believe suffering is the difference between what you want to happen and what's actually happening in the world right so if we can release those expectations if we can like be really good at just adapting to what is happening not our ideas of what's going on uh the better we can flex those muscles whether it's like things that are happening to us physically or things that are happening to us externally or things that are happening in our business adaptation is everything if i sit around and complain about the reason why something's happening my life is going to be so much worse Rather than just being okay, this is this is where this is where it is now. This is where I'm at now, and so just dealing with everything in in terms of what is, not what I wish was happening. Dude, we could I could do a five hour podcast with you. I'm not even <laughs> kidding you. God, I, I look forward to spending a lot more time with you over the years to come. Um, all right, two more. 
What's the best book you've ever read? Personal, business, doesn't matter. Oh, best book I have ever read. So the things that I obsessed over the most, uh, the books that have probably impacted me the most have been written by this guy's name, Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, he is a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And this one book he wrote, I believe it is called The Artist Power. The Artist Power uh, was probably one of the most impactful books I've written. It is a, a book by this Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And what's really interesting is in this, in this book, there's a poem he wrote. He wrote to his brother. His brother, like him, lost everything. So his brother came to one of his monasteries, like really sad, lost everything. Um, and he gave his brother uh, like a hut to live in. So he said, I gave my brother a hut to live in this monastery. It's the only thing that he knew that was his. And he said, I let my brother sit there and live there for years. You know, and he said, one night I went and I burned my brother's hut down. And he said, I sat there as my brother sat next to me crying, watching the only thing um, that he knew that he had that was his burn in front of him. And he said, at the end of it, he wanted it all as much as I did. And his poem is about wanting everything from life and how we can have these things that become symbols of uh, safety that actually hinder us from from living. Uh, and this poem is about something he really did. He really burned his brother's hut down to help his brother wake up from his like, you know, fear and go out and live in the world. And when people ask me like, why do you do what you do? Why do you put all of your 110% in every day? It's like, I'm alive. You know, I'm a human in a body. I'm waking up every day and I got another 24 hours or another 18 hours, whatever it is, I'm awake and I'm going to do something with that time, right? I'm alive. I want the most out of my life. I'm not doing this because I want to be the richest man in the world. I'm not doing this because I want the most power in the world. I'm doing this because I'm alive and I want to make the most out of every moment because nothing is guaranteed to us, right? The most valuable thing in this world is time. You can't get time back. Um, and if you think about it, what IRL is, and in these in this higher level, more philosophical discussion is IRL is all about how people spend their time, right? What we track on IRL, I talked about how Facebook tracks time spent. We track time together, how much time people spend with other people, right? How much time we help people spend with other people, which is like the root of IRL is all about how you spend your time. And actually the root of Facebook and all these things are getting you to spend your time on their product, right? Trying to suck your time. But time is the most valuable resource on earth. It's something you can't get back. And so when I think about that poem, and I think when I heard a Buddhist monk say, I want it all, right? Usually you hear, I want it all from these super greedy, greed is good concepts, right? But what about, I want it all for my life, right? What about, I want it all because I'm alive. And I, I want it all doesn't mean I want everything in the world. It means I just want the most out of what I can do in a day in a week, in a month, because, you know, nothing's guaranteed to us. Dude, I freaking love it. My, <laughs> my mind is just blown right now. Um, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing that. All right, one more. And again, I feel like I could just keep uh, baiting you with these awesome questions just to keep digging in. But if you had a billboard on the busiest highway in San Francisco, and you owned it, and you could put anything on there for the world to see as they drove past it, what would you put on that billboard? That's a cool question. 
besides download IRL? <laughs> you know, I wonder. <laughs> this this would probably be a hazard, but I wonder if it'd be if, if uh, what would happen if a mirror was there. <laughs> Interesting. That's a great answer. Uh. <laughs> it, it, would, it would probably it probably wouldn't get approved. Uh, it might cause accidents, but we live in the age of the the selfie, the self, the focusing on the self. I'm interested in how to move from the I to the we. Right, we live in a very I world right now. Everything, so everything's about look at look at my face, look at my selfie, look at my photo. I'm very interested in anything that can move people from the I to the we, uh, because you know I really believe that's that's what it's all about. Uh, so I probably try to come up with different themes to help break people out of their I state into their we state. I constantly think of when I'm in a car. You know, when I was younger, it used to be easy for me to get mad. Uh, at drivers who sucked or whatever, you know. Yep. Um, and now I think about how everyone in these cars and these like flying, these like fast moving metal boxes are all going through their own life experience. They're all, you know, dealing with their own problems and they're all just trying to get to where they're going. And it's kind of humbling in a way to realize that, you know, we're all on this road together. It, it, it does become a metaphor for life. Like we all kind of have to share the road. We all have to kind of share this life and we don't have to, uh, bully people around us. We can we can find ways to be in harmony. And so for me, I'd, I'd probably find ways to try to break people out of out of that like solo state of you're in a car by yourself um, to like you're on this road with a group of people. Dude, ah oh, man, we're doing a part two. I have so Love much it. to prepare for for part two whenever we do it next. Um, it. All right, what's the best way for people to find you either on social or uh, find your company? How can people find you? So you can find me on on Twitter, okay. and I'm. Um, my Twitter handle, my Twitter handle, is Abra Shafi, A B R A S H A F I, or just go to IRL.com. That's really what I work on. I'm not super active on the Twitters or anywhere publicly. Really, I put all my life's energy and work into IRL. So IRL.com is definitely where the magic is. I love it. Download the app in the App Store, baby. Indeed. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, for spending time with me today. This really, really was one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. I love it. Well, I'm honored to be a part of it. And you ask great questions. Thank you very much. Of, of, of 100 episodes, it's one thing I've gotten better at. All right, buddy. Have a uh, great New Year's. Um, enjoy yourself. And, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again. All right. You too. Okay, buddy. Bye. All right. Ciao. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.